Welcome to Come Talk Health Radio. My goal here is to have conversations with anyone curious about health from a holistic viewpoint. Holistic by definition includes everything. So from a holistic point of view, there is nothing that does not impact your health. Although many, many things will have very, very small impact. I am happy to go down whatever rabbit hole fascinates you, but at some point I will bring our conversations back to the issues that make the biggest impact. I believe we all have wisdom to share. I know you have lessons for me, and I have been told many times that if you really want to learn something, teach it. I am not a licensed health professional. I am simply your peer. I desire to be of service to any of you listening who may now be where I once was. So now is the time to call in and join the health revolution. The number is 516-531-9475. This show is live seven days a week from noon until 3 p.m. Eastern. Now here's a song by my friend Alison David from the UK off her album Believe.
we could realize all that we could be. Well, who could really be to blame when intrinsically we are the same? We were born with open hearts, and we're just trying to play the game. And all we really want, all we ever want, is someone to hold us and not to control us. Well, Tell me who could really be to blame When intrinsically we are the same We were born with open hearts And we're just trying to play the game Well, all we really want All we ever want Is someone there to hold our hands Show that they really do understand All we really want Welcome to Come Talk Health Radio. I am your host, Scott Kusland. Today is Sunday, March 22nd. Another sunny day here in Framingham, Massachusetts. Topic of today is fluoride. And um, man, this, this one's near and dear to my heart because... It is in the same family as my favorite element on the periodic chart, iodine. So I listed on the uh, description kind of three of mankind's proudest achievements and how they're related to, uh, to fluoride, fluorine. Um, the uh, Manhattan Project needed fluoride or fullerene to to make our atomic bombs and then after world war ii the uh, the chemical industry you know they needed something to take up their uh, spare capacity because they didn't need to make as many bombs and bullets and they found a new home in agriculture and what you may not know is that agriculture is, as we know it today, generally, um, you know, conventionally grown food and even organic to a large degree is actually a, a warfare model. Now, the, instead of focusing on 
assisting nature and making sure that basically we we aren't in the way or to uh you know to heal the soil so plants can grow as God intended them to um we tend to just throw chemicals at it from you know the the fertilizers the most commonly used as far as i know is NPK which is nitrogen phosphorus and potassium and then you know the herbicides pesticides fungicides which you know the last 3 they're all antibiotics they're all anti-life you know herbicides are killing unwanted plants pesticides are killing unwanted insects and fungicides are killing unwanted fungi so you know we uh you know for all of human history the primary way we go about solving our problems is war you know it's like growing up somewhere the uh the analogy of you know pounding square blocks into into round holes that is what we have become very very good at if you can get call it good to uh be very uh skilled at violence so one of the things that i uh discovered when i started reading more about iodine was that a lot of the pharmaceuticals and many of the uh, the chemical antibiotics used in agriculture are based around fluorine and bromine, which are both uh, non-essential nutrients. There is some debate whether um, uh, bromine is somehow used by the body. And there, there had been some debate whether fluorine is used by the body. And back in the 40s, I believe, up, up until, I really should know this, um, I think it was like 1974, where it was proven that that fluorine was not an essential nutrient. And of course, for at least a couple of decades in there, it was assumed to have been an essential nutrient because, you know, dentists and the medical community, you know, were seeing that it uh, increased the the hardness of tooth enamel. But further, you know, scientific research showed that no, it is not needed for for any mammal to thrive. So, uh, but the the myth still persists. Um, there's uh, a gym that I was going to for a couple years, and uh, I, they had like an online education 
as part of your membership with the gym. And so I, I was like, oh, cool, I'll take it. I'm, I'll be surprised if they can teach me anything about nutrition, for example, which was one of their, their subjects. But I'm really curious what, you know, what they talk about. And, of course, just like any nutrition book I pick up, the first thing I do is look at the index and see how many times they mention iodine. I wanted to know, did they mention iodine? And they, I believe they did mention it, but the thing that really drew my my focus was the fact that they listed uh, fluoride as a nutrient. And, man, I got a little bit hot, and after I'd cooled down a little bit, I composed a, uh, an email and sent it off to their... Uh, you know, their contact email to have them address it, like to correct their misinformation that they were presenting fluor- fluoride as an essential nutrient. And um, they never replied to me. <laughs> and, um, you know, for for a couple of reasons, not just because I was upset that they were misinforming people about fluoride, but um, I ended up canceling my membership with that gym. Um, anyway, you know, the myth continues that fluoride is a nutrient and even, in, even people think that it, it is an essential nutrient and both are false. As my friend Melissa Gallico has Uh, taken on as her life mission. Um, She has written an excellent book about the connection between acne and fluoride that even at small amounts that are considered perfectly safe by mainstream um, dentists and medical doctors, there there are between um, one and 5% is the current estimate of people who are hypersensitive to to at least fluoride, and I suspect to all of the of the halides, all the elements in the halide family. And you know, her story is is absolutely fantastic. And um, I have three books on my shelf um, that, to me, are the you know, the go-tos for learning more about fluoride. And let me turn around and grab those. So there have been, you know, more books than I care to count written about fluoride, but the the one that's made the, the biggest impact on me um, had a short kind of, I think it was like a 35-minute mini documentary done, um, basically an interview with the author, Christopher Bryson. And his book is called The Fluoride Deception. And Christopher is uh, an award-winning author. And he's from the UK. And I think think he was... Well, I know he was living in the U.S. Um, 
I think it was New York, but anyway, he, you know, one of his colleagues from across the pond over in the UK said, Hey man, what's the, what's the Yanks opinion on, on fluoride? As you may not know, fluoride has been controversial from the very beginning and continues to be to this day. So Christopher Bryson was like, I'll have to check into that for you. And that turned into a full-length book called The Fluoride Deception. And he goes over um, its long and twisted history, including its involvement in the development of atomic weapons, uh, the fertilizer industry, and, of course, water fluoridation. The next book, which I really have only done a bit of skimming, is by uh, Paul Conant, and he wrote a book called The Case Against Fluoride, How Hazardous Waste Ended Up in Our Drinking Water and the Bad Science and Powerful Politics that Keep It There. Now, Paul Conant is uh, one of the primary people in the Florida Action Network, and they are part of a lawsuit that with any logic will, uh, will, will be winning its court case this year and will end water fluoridation in this country, at least so I hope. Um, it could be uh, appealed to the Supreme Court, but... We'll see what happens. And the most recent book. So um, basically there's six years between these. The Fluoride Deception came out in 2004. Uh, the Case Against Fluoride, 2010. And Melissa Gallico's book uh, originally came out in 2016 under a slightly different title. And then she um, published it again in 2018, I believe, yeah, as The Hidden Cause of Acne, How Toxic Water is Affecting Your Health and What You Can Do About It. So, uh, in the Halide family, which is group 17 on the periodic chart, which I have a handy dandy application on my uh, my tablet the uh, you know the smallest to to largest uh, is fluorine chlorine bromine iodine and astatine astatine is radioactive so it it uh, decays very quickly and does not you know uh, it, because of that is um, really more of a curiosity than anything um, you know, related to health. Um, so iodine is the, the heaviest of all the essential elements that is known to be essential for human health. And below that you have bromine, which there's some small debate whether it might be um, a nutrient, but it's definitely not an essential nutrient. 
below that chlorine, which is an essential nutrient. You know, most commonly we get it with its uh, partner sodium, sodium chloride or table salt. And then the smallest of the bunch is fluorine. And fluorine is the the most reactive of all them, all of them. And you know, the smallest. And when we talk about nutrition, it's you know, it's more than what you put into your body or what gets into it through uh, unintentional absorption. Like, you know, if you're uh, taking a bath and you're relaxing for half an hour, you're going to absorb, you know, both chlorine and fluorine in, from, from the water that you're, you're bathing in. And if, you know, for showering, it's more about inhaling the steam. And, you know, chlorine gas, um, highly toxic, was banned uh, for use in warfare because it was such a horrible way to, to kill somebody. Um, but, of course, we need chloride. Otherwise, we couldn't do so many things in our bodies, including, you know, making digestive acid. Um so chloride and iodide, extremely important. Um, no question, they're both essential nutrients. Fluor fluoride and bromide, on the other hand, um, in the you know nutritional community or nat natural medicine community, both of these elements are viewed as toxic. So here we are in... 2020, and fluoride and bromide are everywhere. Um, both of them are used in antibiotics. Um, Cipro, which at one point, I don't believe it's the most powerful antibiotic anymore, but at one point it held the crown. And Cipro is a fluoride-based pharmaceutical. Um, so in natural medicine, we, we're, you know, the, we're, we're, we're not doing war. We're trying to find ways to support the body and to do what it naturally wants to do. Um, so, uh, you know, a, a natural or a holistic dentist would never be using or, or promoting the use of any antibiotic compounds or, or in this case, elements. Um, so there, there are many, many uh, holistic dentists out there that are discouraging their clients from uh, from fluoride, and they, you know, they will not do fluoride, you know, topical treatments. Um, they recommend people filter their water if if their community fluoridates. And, you know, we'll hopefully advise their clients to avoid any brominated products. And one of the most common brominated products is flour, which many of you are probably avoiding because of 
issues digesting gluten. Um, but interesting little story is that iodine used to be where bromide is now. Uh, flour used to be iodinated. So when I was growing up, I was getting about 150 micrograms, and everybody of that generation who was eating iodinated flour, 150 micrograms per slice of bread. And I remember, you know, easily going through, you know, six pieces of bread a day and some days a dozen. Um, and I was, you know, as I have talked about before, my uh, my immune system, you know, was my constitution has been very strong my whole life. And in partly part, I attribute it to, um, you know, the, the amount of iodine I was getting as a boy, you know, four slices a day was getting me, you know, 600 micrograms, um, which is 50% more than what, uh, what Rick Nightshade, uh, recommended to all of his, uh, Clients who were doing his 25-day cleanse and the alfalfa tablets and the slippery elm and rolled-out powder and the vegan diet, um, which I felt so amazing on. Of course, I did that back in 97 for, for the first time. So I was 33. So I, you know, I think... Iodine was replaced with with bromide and flour back in, I think it was either the late 70s or early 80s. Um, And of course, it probably was not all at once. But so anyway, say 1980. So it had been almost 20 years since I've been getting um, a significant amount of iodine. And when I did start taking it, it... uh, made a huge improvement in my energy. So fluoride, um, what we know about it now is, you know, a hell of a lot more than we, when we did when I was a boy, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, it was still regarded as, as an essential nutrient. Um, and now, you know, the science is really quite overwhelming that not only is it not an essential nutrient, it's it's a poison as dangerous as lead. And if you've been a parent in the last, well, actually, if you've just been a parent, period, um, you pretty much um, are very well, very familiar with, you know, the danger of, um old lead paint that uh, could be eaten by a curious toddler. Um, anyway, um, it one of the things that kind of puzzles me about what the research has shown about fluoride is that it passes through the, the placenta during pregnancy. But 
you know, after the baby's born and uh, is breastfed, mother's milk is extremely low in fluoride. Even, you know, even when the mother is exposed to, you know, fluoridated water, you know, fluoride in tea and those are the fluoride in tea is probably one of the highest ways we get it. But, you know, then there's the pesticides and herbicides and fungicides that are residual in the food we eat and, you know, any prescriptions that we take, you know, there are antidepressants that have um, fluoride in their composition. Of course, the antibiotics that have fluoride in them. Um, but the mother's body protects the the newborn from fluoride, which should be enough. To me, that's like, okay, open and shut case. Fluoride's bad. Let's not put it in our water. Let's, let's follow nature's wisdom. Um, but people are, you know, have such a strong fear about tooth decay and also a fear that they might be doing damage to their unborn, born, and, you know, the entire entirety of our populations that are subjected to water fluoridation, that on both ends of the spectrum, we don't want to go there. We don't want to admit that we've been harming generations of, of human beings. And we also are terrified that, you know, we're going to have more tooth decay in the world if we if we take away this, you know, wonder of modern medicine. Um, so you know it's between a rock and a hard place, and it's um, it's a tough issue. But ultimately, um, the truth will prevail. It always does. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take. <laughs> And um, I'm really excited that this uh, lawsuit that's going to be, uh, I believe it's in the district court in San Francisco, will be uh, quick and decisive and um, that the, the, the evidence will be so overwhelming that uh, the decision will not be appealed. But um, soon we will know, unless the sole coronavirus thing pushes that schedule back, which I would expect it would, but hopefully it'll still happen before the end of the year. Um, well, this is a little bit sooner than usual. Usually I make it to about the 45-minute 45 45-minute 45 mark before I uh, feel like taking a break, but I feel like taking a break now. So let's see. How about on the way? There's a baby who's crying while her mother is lying in her own little world far away. And the pain of rejection Builds the need for affection Too crowded for loving to stay And all that we're wishing for Is to not hurt anymore 
on the way. It's on the way. Oh, it's on the way. There's a child who is fighting Because reality's frightening Their defense just becomes their attack And their parent is leaving But it's themselves they're deceiving If they think they can make them come back And all the we is to not hurt anymore And that help is somewhere along
All right, I am back. And um, I remembered one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about today. Um, one of my Facebook friends is a, a researcher who has a strong focus on fluoride, at least lately. And he tweeted um, almost a week ago on March 16th about a study that was published in in The Lancet, which is one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world. And um, what it found, I'll, I'll just read you the title of uh, of this research. It says, it was published March March 11th, 2020, by Li Fang, Li Lei Fang. Maybe butchering all these names except for the last. Li Fang, George Karakiulakis, and Michael Roth. Um, titled "Are Patients with Hypertension." In diabetes mellitus at increased risk for COVID-19 infection. So what they have found, and I'll just read you the summary that, uh, oops, wrong browser. There we go that my friend Declan Waugh from Ireland um, wrote on his tweet. As reported in Lancet Medical Journal this week, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, or ACE2, mediate... Oh, my. ACE2 mediates the entry of COVID-19 into human cells. So higher expression of ACE2 increases susceptibility to COVID-19. There are only two elements known to activate ACE2. One is fluoride. And uh, I asked him, what's the other one, Declan? And he said the other one is chloride, which was a bit of a surprise as I was really expecting to say that it was bromide, but maybe the research hasn't been done on bromide. Um, but anyway, uh, let me go back to the, to the lancet.com. And um, so what they talk about here is the expression of, this enzyme, ACE2, is substantially increased in patients with type 1 or type 2 diabetes who are treated with ACE inhibitors and angiotensin 2 type 1 receptor blockers, or ARBs. And then as well, hypertension is also treated with ACE inhibitors and ARBs which result in an upregulation of ACE2. ACE2 can also be increased by 
thiazidolidinidiones. Oh my, that's a mouthful. And ibuprofen. So, increased expression of ACE2 facilitates infection with COVID-19. Therefore, we therefore hypothesize that diabetes and hypertension treatment with ACE2 stimulating drugs increases the risk of developing severe and fatal COVID-19. And of course, they also mention in their ibuprofen, which is a very popular over-the-counter pain medication. Used to be the go-to when I was in the Army. They would give us ibuprofen for everything. (laughs) So what the hell is a thiazolidinidione? Abbreviated, reading off Wikipedia here, abbreviated as TZD, also known as glitazones, after the prototypical drug sigillitazone. They're a class of heterocyclic compounds, a family of drugs used in the treatment of diabetes mellitus type 2, developed in the late 1990s. And let's see, let's just take a peek on Wikipedia for ibuprofen. So, ibuprofen is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, or NSAID, used for treating pain, fever, and inflammation. Uh, Also used for painful menstrual periods, migraines, and rheumatoid arthritis. So, you get a fever from being inflected infected with COVID-19 or the seasonal flu, your body's temperature goes up in an effort to uh, stop the replication of the virus. And if I remember right, you know, temperature has to get above, I think it was 102. Um, anyway, the, um, the temperature rise is a beneficial Um, healing reaction to viral infection. And it's amazing how many people um, don't know better. Um, Most of the doctors I've interacted with over the last decade or so have seemed to be wise to the idea that, you know, fever should not be suppressed as long as they don't get dangerous, which is like, you know, 100 and six degrees or above is danger zone, but, you know, 105 or less is not a big deal. Of course, parents generally freak out with the temperature that goes over 102. Um, so that that is a lot of people. Pain, fever, inflammation, painful menstrual periods, migraines, rheumatoid arthritis, and you add in the, the the diabetics and people with high blood pressure. That, oh my goodness, that that report 
quite the bombshell. I wonder how many times you've heard of it. I have am no, uh, not a very good reference point because I get all my news from social media pretty much. I mean, occasionally I'll uh, be in the presence of a television that's turned on to a news station, but that's generally only when I'm traveling across the country and staying at hotels. But anyway, um, I'm be very curious to, to know if any of any of y'all have heard about this blockbuster uh, research that was just released on March 11th in the Lancet. Um, so, you know, as one of the things I've, I've um, observed in, in my uh, professional life as a health expert is that the older people get, the more prescriptions they tend to take, the more inflammation they have, the more pain they have. And of course, they're much more likely to be using things like ibuprofen to reduce their pain. Um, and much more likely to have high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes. So, yeah, how about them apples? The most, some of the most commonly used prescription and over-the-counter drugs increase your infection probability significantly. Hmm. Which, you know, to me, makes it you know, that much more important to get your iodine levels up because my personal experience in my own life and also with those that I've um, done consultations with is there's the only thing that comes close to the power of iodine is probiotics. Assuming you don't, I mean, if you, if you have a, you know, a serious uh, digestive issue like colitis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, um, yeah, then there's a lot of... Uh, other things that would actually out outrank iodine <clears throat> because I've excuse me, my throat is very scratchy today. Flemmy, I guess. And I've been drinking my water, so anyway, um maybe it's because <laughs> of this topic, I get a bit heated about fluoride. Um, hmm. So, yeah, the older you get, the more likely you are to be taking drugs that are ACE inhibitors, which are going to increase your susceptibility to flu. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> one of the other other things I've learned about the dangers of fluoride. Um, one, it's it, you know fluoridating water violates one of the principal uh, uh, 
principal principles, <laughs> one of the most important principles of, of medicine is that, you know, when, you know, after a doctor decides on a pharmaceutical treatment, they have to determine the dose. So, you know, any doctor that doesn't consider the you know, specific health condition of their of their client is wide open to uh, lawsuits for malpractice. And of course, they are re- doctors are routinely sued for malpractice in this country. To the you know, it's I've read some articles about you know medical doctors leaving the United States because of the insurance craziness, you know, all the lawsuit, how lawsuit happy we are. And, um, and of course they're also working with a hugely broken model of health and disease and using a hugely broken model. You're going to be, you know, making fatal mistakes and disabilitating mistakes on a regular basis. Um, anyway, that is a whole other tangent, but hmm. the dose. So huge risk for being sued for malpractice if you if you make a big error on the on what dose to give a client for you know whatever pharmaceutical the medical doctor thought was the most appropriate. So when we come to water fluoridation, there's no control of dose. So as so happy as we are, you know, if we were logical about um, this whole thing, you know, we would have prevented it from the beginning by saying, hey, you're trying to give us a drug. You know, you're giving us a substance to address a specific health concern without considering the dose. So, you know, new, you know, you know, um, fetuses in the womb are getting exposed to fluoride if their mother is drinking fluoridated water from conception till birth, because fluoride passes through the placenta. And we know that one of the deficiency uh, symptoms of iodine deficiency is cretinism, which is a, um, a, a problem of the of your brain not developing properly. It's basically, you know, it's a mental retardation caused by uh, a lack of the essential nutrient iodine. Well, because fluoride is so much smaller than iodine, it is more easily absorbed. So, you know, fluorine, the atomic number of is nine. Iodine, the atomic number is 53. So let me break out my handy dandy calculator. 53 divided by 9, 5.9 times. So almost, fluoride is almost six times smaller than the iodine atom, just based on 
atomic number. I am not a physicist, and nor do I play one on TV, but um, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand that a smaller atom is going to pass into your bloodstream faster than a bigger one will. Um, I remember reading uh, some research about iodized salt and that because chloride competes with iodide for absorption in the intestine, that only about 10% of the iodine that's in the salt that you eat is actually absorbed into your bloodstream because chloride is competing with it and chloride is a lot smaller. So for chloride, that's atomic number 17. 53 divided by 17. Three times smaller than iodine. Um, I first, um, right, right around the same time I was looking at the, you know, the competition with iodine with chloride and table salt, making table salt one of the making it one of the most inefficient places to put iodine. And I was like, why would you take iodine out of bread and replace it with bromide? which is also competing with iodine for absorption because it's smaller. Bromide's at 35, so 53 divided by 35, 1.5 times smaller than iodine. And I was like, my conspiratorial mind was like, this is just too too much to be a coincidence. This has got to be intentional. But, you know, the more I think about all these, you know, potential evil plans to, um, you know, do harm to uh, us humans at, at large and, you know, make us make the job of the, of the, uh, the social elite to, uh, to rule over us. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> what matters is what can we do to avoid, you know, the hurtful effects of of the different things. So, you know, one thing is drink filtered water. That's a biggie. Don't eat brominated bread. Avoid tea as much as possible. I mean, there's a um, there are different teas, and you know that'll be a research project for you if you really love your tea um, to find out which ones are lower in fluoride. And of course, you know, you know my my own personal motto in life, you know, when back when I was smoking cigarettes, which I did from like age 15 until like 26 uh, let's see I went to rehab in 90 
so yeah, I was 26. I quit drinking and quit smoking, and then about six years later, started back up on both of those, and then quit again about six, seven years ago. Um, I used to take extra selenium because I knew that would balance out the uh, the toxic amount of cadmium I was getting from tobacco smoke. Um, so if you love your tea, you don't have to completely eliminate it, but like, please get working on getting your dose of iodine up so you can, you know, minimize the, the bad effects. And one thing that I probably should have talked about yesterday when I was talking about the, the hair trace element analysis lab work, um, you know, the part of the, the lab report talks about the protective ratios um, I think I did mention selenium being one of those that uh, one of those elements that protects you from you know the the various heavy metals like mercury and cadmium and arsenic and all the rest. Um, so talking about fluoride, the most protective thing that you can do is well two things you know reduce the toxic halides the fluorine and the bromine and increase the healthy ones especially iodine or iodine so um i i think i never got to to like oh yeah remember reading a little trivia about this for kidney dialysis and that at some point there weren't there wasn't a, um a, either i don't know i i don't know the the history but i suspect that at some point they didn't have reverse osmosis filters in the in the dialysis dialysis machines or if they had they really weren't on top of um maintaining them and changing out those filters as often as they should um because they become ineffective you know the longer they've been doing their filtering work that occasionally there'll be an accidental over application of fluoride and it was noticed that when these fluoride spills happened people with you know in kidney failure or or uh, or at least their kidneys were not at uh, at full health were much likely to have serious health consequences as a result of the the fluoride excess that was put into the water supply and then ultimately used for the dialysis which comes back to dose so you know we Giving, saying, oh, well, we're going to do, you know, one part per million or 0.7 parts per million. Yeah, but who, you know, that you're going to span the entire spectrum of, of human life from, you know, a zygote right after conception to, you know, a 100-year-old person that's on dialysis and just like, well, you know, just blows my mind which is 
it's fluoridation is probably the the biggest like head shaking what the fuck <laughs> why did we start why are we still doing it and you know why 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 and uh, as i touched on earlier it's you know a mixture of we you know we uh we trust our authorities you know and if the government says that it's safe then we really want to believe them until we're um, proven far beyond a reasonable doubt that that trust is misplaced. And actually, I was um, driving across the country last fall and listening to a book by um, Malcolm Gladwell, I believe, called Talking to Strangers. And he talks about in, in there, like, the psychology behind, you know, our deferment to authority. And uh, he goes through some really incredible stories about how that played out with um, one of them was about a, a college sports coach. Um, and no one wanted to believe that this coach was sexually molesting students until the evidence became just so overwhelming that it couldn't be denied anymore. And I have a feeling that, you know, this is what's going to happen with, with fluoride. If, hopefully this year. Um, but if not this year, it's, it can't be too far off because, you know, there's new research coming out pretty much every week, if not more than, you know, you, if not more frequently than that. Um, so let's see. I covered the the proudest achievements and how they related to fluoride. It's about dose and how uh, dose can is it's a huge wild card by adding fluoride to, to our water supplies. Um, I talked about um, the halide family a bit and the prevalence of kind of fluoride's evil twin bromide and uh, how that's commonly used in, in flour to make bread. Um, and I've talked quite a bit about iodine throughout the shows and that's probably going to be a common theme for as long as I have this show. Um, to me, it's it's so central to having a healthy body that it's just going to come up regularly. You know, you can't be you know, any, anything that's so tightly uh, connected to the generation of a body of body of energy in our bodies. Um, you know, it it affects everything. Everything that our bodies want to do requires energy. So when you flo- when you add fluoride to the picture, you're just you know you're, you're putting a, a a a stick in the in the spokes of your energy wheel. You know, you're tripping yourself up. 
and you know in the end you know the the biggest concern you know the biggest causative factor for tooth decay is eating refined carbohydrates and you know i guess we really shouldn't be surprised that you know we're always treating symptoms instead of you know undoing the root causes of of problems that we would do the same thing with with tooth decay that we're not going to get rid of the the real problem which is eating you know refined sugar we're just going to paint on some fluoride onto our teeth and make it harder which brings up another topic for fluoride um there's convincing evidence that the enamel isn't actually stronger. It's harder, but the, that the teeth become more brittle. And that's also true for the rest of the bones in our body. So I forget where I, where I read about it. It's, um, I would guess that it's, in the case against fluoride, actually, I was looking through the table of contents. I know that it is that the relationship between, um, you know, hip fractures in the elderly and um, and whether their water is fluoridated or not, there's a very strong correlation between the two. And of course, one of the primary ways, besides heart attack and cancer that the elderly die is from falling down and breaking bones. So, you know, short story is if we care about the most vulnerable in our society, the elderly and the young, we need to end water fluoridation as soon as possible. So I'm going to play another song. I'm pretty much wrapped up for the day as far as what I want to talk about. Um, Of course, I will be available until 3 o'clock Eastern to take any of you courageous callers or potential callers and turn into actual callers. So I will be around. Um, I realize that besides going out and getting sun and taking a little walk while I uh, wait for a a text from one of you guys, I could be a little bit more uh, present <laughs> if only to be in in the same room and sitting down with my guitar or my piano and going through my lessons. So I am a budding, uh, budding musician, finally. I mean, aside from, I was reminded one time that the voice is, is the instrument of all instruments. And, uh, and I, in that sense, I've been a a musician for most of my life because I've loved to sing. But anyway, um, I will be doing my music lessons over here for the next uh, half an hour, 45 minutes or so, if I jump right at it, which I'm likely not. So I think I'll go outside. But I will catch you all on the other side of this break or... Um, until the or sooner if I get a 
someone on the switchboard or someone in the chat room or someone on my uh, on my text on my Google Voice app. So the number to text if you want to get me back to the mic sooner rather than later, five zero eight two zero seven eight one two nine. Everything I wish for, everything I dream of, is nothing if I can't share it with you. I could save you from your fears, whisk them all away. I'd make any sacrifice necessary. I don't want to see you suffer something deep inside. I want to shine the light of hope into your darkest night. Though my candle's burning, it's up to you to see. Darling, only you can set yourself free.
Can you hear me now? So I was just um, going through day four of uh, my review of the Understanding of Music seminar and uh, just finished checking the tune on my guitar and was about to play a E minor chord. And I got a text from my friendly neighborhood chiropractor saying she can't hear me. <laughs> so she just gave me a yes. So I think she can hear me now. So I had been talking uh, for an hour or so about the history of fluoride, how it's been used and abused, and uh, what you can do to minimize its toxic effects on you. And something popped up in my head after I got off the mic and... Um, Now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but to any of you listeners out there, I would encourage you to send me in comments or questions and I can uh, maybe uh, address that. But yeah, I was... I was thinking back to uh, you know the research study that was released uh, back on March 11th about ACE inhibitors and how it increases your uh, infection um, probability from COVID-19 along with uh, ibuprofen, which is so commonly used for pain, headaches, menstrual difficulties, etc., and, um, man, that is just so mind-blowing, I suppose. But I one thing that pops into my mind is, you know, when I was a boy, I remember choosing what flavor of fluoride treatment to be put on into my mouth. And I was like, well, would you like cherry-flavored? or orange flavored and I think I've I tried both <laughs> but uh you know the one of the other common things about um fluoride is you know a lot of the fluoride uh, toothpaste are fluoridated and you're supposed to you know use a pea-sized amount which I never did in my entire life. I was always covering the entire toothbrush. Well, not well, the bristle part of it anyway. <laughs> I wasn't coating the handle. And uh, it was only after I became aware of, you know, the, the hazards of fluoride that I had learned about, you know, what the direction is on there. And also, you know, the fact that right on the tube of toothpaste, it has a toxic warning like if you swallow this you need to like take poison control action and you know especially with kids toothpaste that are like bubblegum flavored and stuff like 
you can't, I mean, if you want to make sure your child doesn't swallow fluoride toothpaste, you need to make sure it tastes really nasty because then they're not going to want to swallow it. They want to spit it out as quickly as possible, which, of course, would be <laughs> would be ideal that they never use it at all. But uh, I remember I'd seen a blog post about um, um, some some fluoride educated person and posted on a, a I think it was a dentist who had a a blog like you know there's as I think he said there's as much fluoride in a glass eight ounce glass of water as there is in a pea-sized amount. I think, actually, I think there was more fluoride in the glass, eight-ounce glass of water than a pea-sized amount of fluoridated toothpaste. You know, why don't we have a warning label on our faucets that say, you know, if you swallow this eight-ounce glass of water, please contact poison control. <laughs> Which, of course, is quite the bizarre uh, Twilight Zone moment. And and the dentist was like, no, 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 this this can't be true. And then he did the math himself and found out that, yeah, actually it is true. So, yeah, we live in a bizarre world. Everything's upside down. And um, when you understand that violence never solves problems, it can only treat them, <laughs> Um, like, um, you know, I remember when I was, I can't remember if I was still in the army at this point or if I had recently gotten out, um, but I was watching, a um, an anti-war person talk about blowback and unintended consequences of our foreign policy decisions to deploy troops and do, you know, I don't know if, I don't think drone strikes were really the thing that they've become, but uh, I do know for a fact that they, they had drones back at that point, but I don't think they were weaponized. Actually, one of my, my roommates that I had when I was in California in the, we were stationed, uh, well, we were living in Paso Robles and my best friend there had a brother in the Navy and he was a, a drone pilot. Um, so that was, I joined in 82 and we were together in California. That was 85 to 87. So the Navy was flying drones back then, but as far as I know, those weren't doing strikes. I think they were just used for observation. But anyway, I digress yet again. One of my favorite things to do in life. <laughs> well, it was nice to have you stop by, uh, my dear. I look forward to having you on as a as a caller at some point. That would be fantastic. So I am going to get back to uh, my music lesson. And um, I just love that Blog Talk Radio deletes all the dead space when it prepares it for for streaming afterwards. Um, anyway, I am uh, right here in the room. Give me a shout if uh, you want to chat.
All right, I'm back. I have uh, a little bit more to talk about from uh, that Lancet study that I mentioned earlier. So uh, a little bit further down in the summary, it talks about this. Uh, to quote from it, a further aspect that should be investigated is the genetic predisposition for an increased risk of SARS-CoV-2 infection, which is uh, you know, a respiratory disease via a coronavirus, uh, which might be due to ACE2 polymorphisms that have been linked to diabetes mellitus cerebral stroke and hypertension, specifically in Asian populations. So polymorphism, um, that is a word uh, combining two Greek words, poly, meaning multiple, and morph forms. Um, so basically it's different sequences in a gene um, that don't affect in uh, that they, they don't break the creation of whatever the protein um, that it's coded for. And uh, for example, enzymes are proteins. And since we're talking about the ACE2 enzyme and how that impacts um, susceptibility of different people to infection by COVID-19, it's kind of important. <laughs> so um, when I was reading through the, the definition of a polymorphism, um, it reminded me of something that I just recently learned um, by going to, going to uh, Duncan Lorian's Understanding of Music seminar, in that there are, when you're playing chords, there's kind of the standard way of playing the chord, which is referred to as the root position. For example, the notes C, E, and G. Well, you can play the same notes, but in a different order, and they're referred to as first inversion or second inversion. So anyway, you're basically playing playing the same genes, but they could be they're they're in a slightly different order. And um, so the enzyme, for example, is still created, but um, I looked up on another website, uh, thoughtco.com has an article talking about genetic polymorphism and what is it. Um, so what they talk about here is that, that you know, there's polymorphism, polymorph is multiple forms. So there's different ways a specific gene can be coded with those base pairs. Um, and a polymorphism becomes considered to be a mutation when that specific arrangement of base pairs occurs 
at 1% of the population or less. So a mutation is simply a polymorphism that's extremely rare. And then they talk about, um, you know, these gene variations and enzymes. And it says, in gene sequencing studies, like that done for the Human Genome Project, the studies have revealed that at the nucleotide level, the gene encoding a specific protein can have a number of differences in the sequence. And uh, they say, for example, within the human race, there are many different polymorphisms of the gene CYP1A1, which is one of many cytochrome P450 enzymes of the liver. And although the enzymes are basically the same sequence and structure, um, polymorphisms in this enzyme can influence how humans metabolize drugs. I was like, huh, well, makes sense if there are polymorphisms in the ACE2 gene in, in the enzyme that it creates. Um, that this whole thing blew up in China. Of course, home to mostly Asian people. But yeah, I really, um, I was like, oh, that's cool that I can you know, tie together what I'm, what I'm learning about music with genetic variations in COVID-19. Um, And I have tons and tons of notes on, on fluoride. And while I play another song from Alice and David, I'm going to poke through there and see if there's any, any other cool little tidbits I can uh, float across your ears. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter It really doesn't matter At all You feel lost inside You just don't know why And asking people to help you find What it is that you just can't find And you try so hard to fit in You don't know why you need to And you feel like everything is wrong People see you, and you can't realize that the thing that you have is already there. And the people you try to impress, they know who you are, and they don't care because they can see the light that shines from inside of you. And all you have to do is be yourself, and that's all you have to do.
So I was poking around in my my notes and I uh, found one that says tamarind removes fluoride from bones. Um, it's and there's a link in there that uh, Melissa Gallico had posted in her fluoride free faces uh, Facebook group. So I clicked on that and was. Uh, reading through it a bit and um, what they say about tamarind is it is a tropical evergreen tree native to Africa but it is now found in places like Mexico, Australia and South Asia Uh, it has a pod like fruit Um, They grow from these tall trees, and as they mature, they go from green and sour to brown and juicy with a sweet and sour pulp. It's used in Indian cooking, and it's also popular as a folk remedy. And I'm not surprised by that, because I've seen, uh, read some reports about um, areas in India where there is naturally occurring high amounts of fluoride in in the water consumed at, in different villages and you know the the crippling effect of you know fluoride at, at those extremes is a very sad sight to see um, so that the tamarind being discovered over the the centuries as being uh, a way to combat uh, disease is, I guess, shouldn't be too surprising, especially when you consider that, you know, at at the root of disease, it's basically a lack of energy. And fluoride uh, reduces your ability to generate energy because it competes um, with absorption for iodine, which drives your metabolism through the thyroid hormones. So, um, 
Let's see, the article goes on to say, the flavor of the fruit might not be to everyone's liking, but it, but its benefits can make it far more appealing. A study was published in the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition showed that tamarind can remove risky fluoride deposits from your bones. In the study, researchers discovered that healthy boys who consumed a third of an ounce of the fruit for just 18 days noted significant enhancements in their urinary excretion of fluoride. In another study, boys were given tamarind to eat for just three weeks and noted additional fluoride excretion compared to the control group. Which um, reminds me of a another common um, plant used for healing in India, uh, turmeric, which um, has been a you know, it's been on my radar for a long time. It's it's very common in anti-inflammatory uh, nutraceutical, you know, nutritional supplements. Um, and more personally, um, my younger brother uh, had was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, and um, he uh, did his own research and found out that there was a correlation between the amount of turmeric in the diet and the occurrence of multiple myeloma. And uh, he is currently in remission of his, of his cancer. So the, um, which reminds me about, you know, the, the two most ancient, um, or I guess I should say three, the three most ancient, uh, medical systems in the world, you know, the, the Greeks and famously Hippocrates or Hippocrates, who, uh, you know, you may be familiar that doctors take the Hippocratic Oath. They promise to do no harm. Ironically, they end up doing so much. Um, of course, I praise to the heavens, the surgeons who, you know, save our loved ones from, you know, life-threatening issues that only surgery can can help. Um, but I am, uh, I know there's there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, yeah, you know, there's lots of different drugs that can be life-saving short-term, and you know, I'm sure that's true. But in my analysis of the situation, the, you know, those life-threatening situations would largely be a non-issue if medical doctors knew their ass from a hole in the ground as far as nutrition is concerned. Um, anyhow, tamarind. Um, so if you're concerned about your lifetime exposure to uh, to fluoride and you know how do you prevent yourself from getting a hip fracture later in life and potentially dying from it, then you want to be on top of your iodine. Make sure you're getting good amounts of it, whether through um, seaweed, which is the best food source 
highest food source. Of course, if you're trying to take it slow, then you know you have to be careful in how you measure it. And of course, the easiest way to to slowly ramp up your iodine intake is just to do nutritional supplement. And liquids are are super easy to do. You know, adding a drop more of whatever iodine level you choose to start at and increase would drop drop per week. So in, in week two, you're taking two drops. In week three, you're taking three drops type of a thing. So I'm, my uh, phone is getting blown up here. Let's see. That's not needed replying now. My brother John asked me, have I covered iodine dosages for newbies and recommended quantity increases over time? Um, which I was just getting into. Um, uh, and I'll repeat it. It's super quick. I um, Because there are some, you know, 1% to 5% that are super sensitive, like if you want to be on the safe side, you know, start at 20 micrograms a day. And, um, you know, gradually increase my rule of, you know, recommendation was to, you know, increase uh, a drop a day. Um, but if you, know, you can make your own iodine, you know, potassium iodide, um, and you can dilute it to, you know, whatever specification you want, which is kind of a pain in the butt. But uh, the lowest dose I've I'm familiar with is a 40 microgram. So you'd have to like add a drop to an eight ounce glass of water and then drink half of it, you know, on one day and half the next day or something um, until you, you know, built up to a more convenient amount. And then, you know, if, if you start at 20 and with a 40 microgram per drop iodine, you could, uh, get up to say 10 drops and that would be 400 micrograms a day. And then there's the next jumping point. I, I usually had people do was a product called Atomodyne, which is a 600 microgram per drop. And, uh, you know, increase a drop a week, as long as you don't have any you know symptoms like headache or acne or um, too much energy. Um, then you just keep on increasing the drop per week till you get to 10. And then you're at 6,000 micrograms or 6 milligrams. And from there, I usually would have people go to a tableted forum. And um, there's a couple different companies, or at least two, probably more than that at this point. But the the company that kind of started it all was, is called Optimox, O-P-T, I-M-O-X. Optimox.com. Yeah, that's the one. They have a product called Iodoro. And they have a 12 and a half milligram, which you can split in half. So it's like six and a quarter milligrams, just a little bit more than the, the six milligrams you'd be taking with 10 drops of Atomodyne. And then... Yeah. I used to say, you know, increase you know, half a tablet a month or a week or, you know, however you want. <laughs> but 
I would generally say a month. It's like, you know, when when the your body does wonders at 400 or 600 micrograms, um, you know, you unless you've got a a big reason to go faster in a shorter time period, like a you know a very short term life expectancy from a cancer diagnosis. I don't see any real good reason to to rush it. And then they make a 50 milligram tablet. Um, and I took that for, I don't know, is it 10 years? Yeah, more than 10 years. And then I started buying my potassium iodide powder and mixing it up with some distilled water. And um, I get 50 milligrams of iodine per drop. And now I do like somewhere between two and 500 milligrams, depending on how much squirting I do into my, uh, my green drink, green smoothie drink every morning. So that answers that. Where are we at for time here? We got two minutes. Oh my, no time for outro music. (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, I guess I could play it, but, um, not playing a full song just triggers my OCD, I guess. So let's see. What else did I have for Tamron? Was there anything else cool in there? It says Tamarin can prevent and alleviate chronic diseases. The seed Tamarin seed extract has been shown to target and kill inflammatory chemicals like interleukin. It can reduce joint pain, swelling, and inflammation. So it can be very useful for anyone with osteoarthritis. And it's also very rich in vitamin C, which is as you, if you listen to my very first episode, you'll know how much I, I love vitamin C for treating disease. Um, it's not something that I, not something I supplement with anymore. But anyway, uh, that pretty much will be a wrap for today. I hope you have enjoyed the show. And um, I look forward to the next time we get together. <laughs>